Him. We're going to be looking at chapter 2 in the book of Colossians this morning. We've been in Colossians since we launched, basically. Uh, we're, going, we're walking through the book verse by verse, uh, looking at every word that God has for us, understanding what He wants to say to us through His sufficient and perfect word. And uh, so open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Our ushers have Bibles. If you don't have one with you today, maybe you left yours at home, or you don't have one, uh, go ahead and uh, raise your hand. They'd love to bring you one. We want to have God's Word in your hand so that you can be checking what I'm saying against the Scriptures and for you to have a copy for yourself. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like life is moving at lightning speed. Can anybody identify with that today? It seems the older you get... The faster life just keeps on going. I remember as a kid, one time, uh, mom and dad were going to take us to the pool. And I remember sitting at the top of our stairs looking at this clock on the wall, and it just seemed to click by so slowly. Uh, It's not the case anymore. Now that I'm in my 40s, it seems like every week is is going by faster and faster. Um, I don't know about you, but I got goals for the week. I got goals of things that I want to change, things I want to get done, both just practically and spiritually. And, uh, and at the start of the week, I'm like, yeah, we're going to get it done this week. We're going to get on that. And then Saturday comes, and it seems like I didn't get everything done that I want to do. Uh, thinking of my spiritual life, uh, I'm going to be studying the Word deeper every morning. I'm going to be praying that much better and longer this week. I want to memorize more Scripture this week. I want to share the Gospel with, with somebody new this week. I want to keep fighting that sin that keeps knocking at my door. I want to keep my thoughts captivated by the gospel when I'm faced with discouragement, with anxiety, with fear, with temptation. I want to live in light of this amazing love that has been poured out for me in the death and resurrection of Christ. I want to walk the walk. And that's my goals when the week starts. And then you get into the week and it seems like, oh, I missed this and I missed that. I didn't quite get there. Friends, the Christian life is not easy. And I think we could have probably a pretty hearty amen after that. The Christian life is not easy. Although salvation is glorious and it is free, following Christ is not easy, right? Well, today we're going to be looking at Scripture, continuing on in Paul's theme of, of walking, in this, walking in this world, walking after Christ, living in the face of danger, knowing that the Christian life is exhausting at times. It is discouraging at times times and know this, that you're not alone. And so as we look at Colossians 2 verses um, 6 to 10, we're going we're gonna to see Paul's struggle continuing. Last week we looked at the first uh, five verses of Colossians chapter 2. Paul was struggling and he was agonizing over the Colossian and Laodicean churches. And through his struggle, we discovered four prescriptions for the health and safety of the church. We learned to, to stand firm in the face of danger by encouraging our hearts with the gospel, pursuing unity with love, grounding our assurance in the truth, and standing firm in the faithfulness of Christ. We're going to see Paul continuing this on today. We see that Paul laid some groundwork for us, a foundation for us to struggle together in the dangerous days ahead. Our church has not promised peace. Our church has not promised prosperity here. Uh, We're actually promised persecution. We're promised trials. That doesn't mean that the Christian life in the church isn't full of joy because it is, but the days are hard ahead. So we have a dangerous calling, and we need to be aware and prepared for the dangers ahead. And so with that in mind, in our text today, Paul continues to prepare us for the days ahead. 
And in fact, today, through God's holy and inspired word, we're going to receive three instructions today, three instructions for how we are to keep on walking, how we are to keep on living this faith out. Are you interested in receiving some instructions for how to walk, how to walk the faith? And we're going to start in chapter 2, in verse 6 to 10. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Again, every day we have your speech given to us through what you have written. We thank you that you, your Holy Spirit moved upon men to speak and write your word so that we could have it perfectly and sufficiently in our hands. We thank you that we can trust it. We thank you that it is always there. We thank you that it never leaves us. We always have access to what you have said, your will, your mind, and your pursuit of man. And so today we approach your word again, seeking for you to speak to us. Pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate it again to us, reveal what we need to know, show us the meaning, and help us to trust it, help us to know it, help us to respond to it. Today, we have the responsibility to respond. And we can only respond in your grace. We can only respond in the power of your Spirit. And so we pray for that strength. Help us to respond faithfully. Help us to respond in worship. And we ask you to do the work that only you can do. In Christ's name we pray. All right, so the first instruction for how we need to walk today, how we're going to keep on that path of faithfulness in Christianity, in the gospel. The first instruction is this, walk with your feet planted. Walk with your feet planted. This is Christ-anchored thankfulness. Walk with your feet planted. Verse 6, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So the first thing we need to notice here is the word therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself the question, what's the therefore, therefore? Right? It speaks about what's before, right? And in this case, it refers to everything that has been said up to this point in the book of Colossians. In fact, the whole first chapter of this, this letter is really laying a foundation of the gospel, wrapped up in the exclusivity and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he is first, that he is preeminent, that he is supreme above all things, that he is the perfect source of truth, knowledge, wisdom. He is God. He is the very one where the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is the perfect God-man who died on the cross and rose from the grave, to do what? To reconcile all things to himself. That is our God. That is our foundation. This is the gospel truth. Our foundation is that Jesus is preeminent. He is first. You can't add anything to him. You can't take anything away from him. He is everything. And Paul says, therefore, showing us that that is our foundation. And we see in this letter now things are shifting. 
Up to this point, it was theology. It was, it was foundation. And now we're moving to a place of application through the rest of the letter. And Paul says, therefore, because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, that is the truth, that's the one who is enough, so walk in him. So walk in him. This word walk, peripateo, this is the first imperative in this letter. This is the first command. Paul giving us instruction. And it's the first of many commands to come in this letter. And so this first command is to walk in Christ. And in the original language, it would say more precisely, continue to walk in him. Continue to live in him. Well, live in who? Live in who? Live in him who you have already received. And this is the one whom all Christians have received. It's Christ Jesus the Lord. Christ Jesus the Lord. That's a pretty big title. In fact, that string of names there, this is the only place in all the New Testament where it says this in that order, and it's very, very significant. Don't rush past that name. Focus on your eyes on that name for a minute. That name is loaded with so much truth, and especially in light of the false teaching that was happening in Colossae. This Jesus, who Paul has been arguing for up to this point, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the the firstborn over all creation. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the Christ. Christ is significant. Christ means anointed one. Christ means Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the ones the Jews have been waiting for, the fulfillment of all Old Testament scripture. He is the final sacrifice. He is the Lord, he says. The Lord, Kyrios. He's the king. He is the ruler over all creation. And he is Jesus. Yeshua, Joshua, which means God saves. This is a loaded name. There's so much in this name. It's a good one to underline and to meditate upon. Jesus is the Christ and he is the Lord. He is the fullest and highest expression of God himself in a man. And Paul is showing us here that you and I have believed and we have received this God. He is the only God. And because we have received this this glorious truth, we must respond We must respond. We have no choice. So how are we to respond? How are we to respond to Christ Jesus, the Lord? Well, we are to walk. We are to walk. So walk in him. And we need to walk with our feet planted. Walking in Christ-anchored thankfulness. Look at verse 7. He says, continue walking in him. Rooted in him, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Have your feet planted. Have your foundation in Christ. And uh, I believe it was 2005, roughly around there, Kim and I built a house from the ground up in our hometown of Fort St. John. And uh, uh, we both come from construction families. Uh, she's calculating the dates right now, I can tell. Um, Anyways, this is really natural for us as a family to be building houses. It's just in our blood, and, uh, and we loved it. We loved building a house. It was hard work. 
Uh, when you're building a house, one of the most expensive bills is that foundation, that concrete, the structure that holds up the home. And in order to build a solid house, you need to have a solid foundation that's going to stand the test of time. You need to dig down. You need to dig down through the soil. You need to dig down through that clay. You need to get down to the hard-packed earth. And then you need to lay your foundation and then build your house upon that. You need to get down to hard ground, ground that will support, ground that will stand. You want your house to be strong, straight. You want it to withstand the elements. And so Paul uses this similar imagery to explain how crucial it is to hold fast to our foundation as Christians. Our foundation is everything. If we hope to walk strong, we must plant our feet on solid ground. Just like thinking of a big oak tree or a big spruce tree. Those roots go deep. Strong roots go into the ground. They are the source of life. They, they hold the weight of the tree. They sustain the tree. And when we are planted on solid ground, we can walk in strength and confidence in the faith. This is the faith that we have already been taught and in the context of the, of the Colossians, this was taught by Paul when he was there on his missionary journey. This was taught by Epaphras, who was the one with the letter. And the same faith that you and I have received through the ages. We have been taught this already, and we need to continue to be taught. And in that, we need to continue to live our lives not on our own, not on the ways of the world, not on man's wisdom, but in the rooted, established, solid foundation of Jesus Christ so that we can live our life trusting, hoping, and living in Christ-anchored thankfulness. So are you walking with your feet planted in him? Is he your foundation today? Is he the one that you build your faith upon? When it comes to your faith and the evidence of your life, are you moving forward in strength or are you feeling weak? When the hard times come, do you find yourself holding fast to the path or do you find yourself slipping off the edge and maybe ending up in the ditch? Are you standing strong on the path? Do you take one step forward and two steps back? Does it seem like you're stumbling along the way? And so as Christians, if we desire to move forward, if we desire to grow, we need to hold fast to that foundation. We need to plant our roots deep, build our foundation on the solid truth of Jesus Christ because the storm is coming. Storms will come. And so how do we do this? How do we walk? How do we plant our feet? Because we need to be rooted. We need to be built up. We need to be established. All three of these, these words are very important um, they're all present passive part participles, which is just a really fancy way of, of saying this is something that we proactively seek, but passively receive. We proactively seek this, but the work is being done by God. So as we pursue him, God does this work in us. So the first is be rooted. Be rooted. Dig deep into the person of Jesus Christ. We need to know him. We need to know everything about him. We need to mind the depths of truth. We need to plant our trees, nourish ourselves in his life-giving sustenance. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. He is our foundation. He is our resource. He is our life. He is our energy. He is our God. He is our solid rock. He is our refuge and strength. He is our solid tower, our cornerstone. And so we must make sure that we're standing on him, having our feet fully, dependently planted in him. So how do we do this? How do we plant our feet? Well, first, we must make sure that we're planted. This is the work of God. We must make sure that we are planted. That means that we must make sure that we are Christians. We must make sure that we have turned away from the world and turned from our sin and, and turned to him in, in faith, trusting him fully for salvation. The seed is always planted by God. When you were a Christian, uh, you've been born again. You have been planted in Christ. The veins of your soul are supernaturally attached for him forever. You were alive now when you were once dead. And to be rooted is to make sure that you are his. Make sure that you are in him. The gospel is clear. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ. Trust him today for salvation. Cry out to him. Ask him to save you. Acknowledge, confess the sins that you have committed against the holy God. And trust in his finished, perfect work on the cross for you. Make sure that your feet are planted on the solid rock of Jesus alone. He taught about this in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Have your feet planted on him. Make sure that this message that you have received has truly changed your life. Believe Repent. So are you rooted? Can you say with the old song, On Christ, this solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Next thing we need to do is to be built up. Be built up. It's a proactive receiving of God's grace. A receiving of, of grace to grow and to be strengthened by God. Literally, this word means to pile stones on top of one another, like, like stacking bricks, building a building. It's, it's to proactively grow up, to pursue the ongoing Christian life of sanctification, which is simply growing in holiness, following after the Lord, applying his truth to your life, practically pursuing the means of grace, which is taking in God's word, reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating upon it, applying it to your life, trusting the word, praying it, sharing it, fellowshipping in the word, being strengthened and growing in maturity in Christ. Be built up. Be built up. Open God's word. Apply it to your life. It's not a dusty old book of old tales. It is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it breathes life into you by the hands of the Holy Spirit. 
be built up. Also be established in the faith. Be established in the faith. To be established here is to be confirmed, to be settled, to be confident in your faith. To, To remind yourself that you are rooted, that you are growing. And this is based on grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. It's Again, like I've said, the gospel is not just for entrance into the kingdom. It's, it's to help us to continue walking in that kingdom. It's our everyday message. We need the gospel every day. Preach it to yourselves. Preach it to each other. Remind yourself that your faith was given to you. Remind yourself that faith was a gift. When you remind yourself that faith is a gift, it just compels you more in your worship knowing that you were unworthy and God sought you out and you received it. So be confident. Be established in the faith. Be confident in the truth that God has all things in his hands. He has it all. And Paul says, just as you were taught. Remember, there was false teaching going on. He's telling them to not be listening to the new ideas of the world, but listen to the time-tested ancient truth, the ancient testimony of Scripture. And in that, be abounding in thanksgiving. The Christian is, is marked by thanksgiving. You are a grateful person. The reason that we come this morning and we lift the name of Jesus high is because we are grateful for what he has done. Rejoice in thankfulness. Abound in thanksgiving. And so we see these things. Be rooted, be built up, be established, be thankful. And so these will help us. These will assure us that our feet are planted in Christ-anchored thankfulness. So are your feet planted? When we walk with our feet planted, we also need to walk with our eyes open. We need to walk with our eyes open. This is Christ-focused discernment. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Walk with your eyes open. When my boys were little and uh, we would walk down the street or especially when we'd be in a parking lot, I'd always tell them to be walking with their, with their head up, with their eyes open. As little boys are, they're often... Uh, busy with their imagination, not really focusing on the world around them. So I would teach them, keep your heads up, keep, keep watching. I'd, I'd teach them to watch for white lights on the back of vehicles. That means a car is in reverse and they're backing up. Walk with your eyes open. Be aware of your surroundings. Watch the world around you. Watch for the danger out there. And what Paul is saying essentially here is for us to be walking with our eyes open, to be, to be watching, to be scanning the horizon, looking for danger. And he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. This literally means to be carried away as plunder. Think of a pirate taking a treasure. It means to be kidnapped as a slave, to be taken fully control of, to be manipulated. Paul wants us to know that we live in a dangerous world. And the danger that he's warning about again is this false teaching that has been coming into the Colossian church. And then he starts to name it. He says, he calls it philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition. This word philosophy being used by Paul is a bit of a catch-all phrase. It's not the same philosophy that we have today, although they are very closely associated. 
He's using it as an umbrella statement for all the false teaching going on in Colossae. Remember, they were teaching of a fuller knowledge, a fuller experience that, that needed to take place. There needed, needed to be something outside of Jesus Christ in this teaching. They were teaching that Jesus was not enough, that you needed wisdom, you needed an experience, you needed something else. Friends, the word philosophy actually means the love of wisdom. We have Philo, love, and Sophia, wisdom, the love of wisdom. Last week, Paul reminded us that Christ is the center. Christ is the fulfillment of all truth, all knowledge, all wisdom. These false teachers in Colossae wanted nothing to do with Christ alone. They wanted wisdom from the culture around them, wisdom from themselves, wisdom apart from Christ, which Paul is going to show us is wisdom from darkness. So friends, as you study the philosophies of man throughout the centuries, you will find that thinking and and rationalizing our existence and our purpose apart from God will always lead to absurdity and hopelessness. Removing God from the picture will always lead to to absurdity and hopelessness. Philosophies being bent on ignoring the the reality of God will always point and lead people away from the truth, taking people captive, carrying people away into myths. Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer said, a man cannot begin with himself and arrive at ultimate reality. You cannot start with Just yourself and no God and ultimately end up with the truth. It moves you away from the truth. We can't approach understanding anything if we don't first start with the understanding and the ultimate reality of God himself as revealed through his word. Paul is saying if they're they're not in accord with Jesus as God himself, the wisdom they are trying to teach, this false teaching is 100% Invalid. It must be rejected because it's not in what? It's not in accord with Jesus Christ, which means it's not in accord with the truth. And so today we have to remember that all of our ideas, all of our thoughts, all of our thinking, our philosophies, all of our attempts to try to understand anything has to line up first and foremost with Jesus Christ as the truth. We need Christ-focused lenses. We must walk with our eyes open, measuring everything that seems reasonable against the only one who is reasonable. We must be suspicious of what's novel, what is new, what is fashionable, what is enticing, what is questioning. We must watch for things that are against the truth of Jesus Christ as revealed in his word. John MacArthur says, the one most valuable lesson humanity ought to have learned from philosophy is that it is impossible to make sense of truth without acknowledging God as a necessary starting point. He is the beginning. In the beginning, God. That is the foundation of our truth. So we need to be discerning. We need to keep our eyes peeled for suspicious ideologies, which means we need to be measuring and we have the measuring rod. Have you ever heard of your, your Bible being called the canon of Scripture? 
The canon means measuring rod. We have to measure everything against the word. Uh, for 16 years, I worked as an instrumentation technician in the oil and gas industry, and, and I would uh, repair and calibrate all kinds of instruments. That's not me, but that's some of the stuff I would do. Um, when you have these kind of instruments, they, uh, they measure all kinds of things, temperature, pressure, flow, anything, you name it. We're, we're out there calibrating it. And, uh, and the, the, the equipment that we use to calibrate something, to correct it, has to be measured against a standard. So you measure, you calibrate your own equipment against a standard, and then you calibrate the equipment in the field against your equipment. And what's interesting is that these measures and weights and standards are all stored in one location. Actually, uh, for my industry, it was stored in France. It's in a vault. And everything that we do is measured against those standards. And it's the same with Christ. We need to measure everything that we do against the standard of Jesus Christ. And so if we want to continue walking, if we want to continue living and, and walking in accurate faith, with all these different kinds of understandings, all these different philosophies around us. They're coming at us all the time. We need to measure them all in light of the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to calibrate that which we know against the measuring rod, against the truth of Scripture, against Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if it's not according to Christ, if it's not in line with the truth, we may be carried away. We may be held captive we may be kidnapped. And at the root of all this is the elemental spirits, which is really speaking about the realm of evil. And Satan is at the center of this deception. Jesus said himself in John 8.44 about Satan. Satan, he does not stand on the truth because the truth is not in him. When, when he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. And so Paul is teaching us here this morning to walk with our eyes open, to be watching and to be measuring, to be leery of philosophies, empty ideas, traditions that don't line up with the gospel. We need to always remind ourselves that we are in a spiritual battle. The world, the flesh, the devil are warring against us, warring against the truth, warring against Christ. And friends, Satan wants to use it by giving us some outside wisdom. He wants us to be attracted to new ideas. Today, the church is being labeled as anti-intellectual, anti-honest, that the church has not changed with the times, that the church has lost its relevance, that the church has been too slow to adapt to new social ideas. And sadly, some churches are caving to that pressure. Many churches today, and, and, and even some in our city, are, are, are welcoming worldly influences, welcoming progressive ideas, embracing works at times, being selective in the scriptures. You know, we really don't like this over here, but we, but we really treasure Jesus, right? That, the other stuff about God and wrath and, and anger, we, we don't really like that. And so we're going to put that down, but we're going to elevate Jesus. One church writes this in their doctrinal statement. We want to speak directly to those who are interested in Jesus, but believe the church has retreated into an anti-intellectual posture. We want to embrace those who are interested in Jesus, 
but believe the church has been too slow to adapt to changing social constructs. We want to welcome those who are interested in Jesus but are struggling to understand how to read, interpret, and trust the Bible in honest ways. And I read this just to, just to highlight how it does sneak in slightly. We start to question the truth. We start to downplay the, the totality and the truth of Scripture. And we start to elevate Jesus at times and put other things down. The time-tested historical understandings of the faith. We have to be so careful. Last week, I, I gave you an example of, of Rob Bell and the emergent movement doing this. These historical understandings of, of Scripture are questioned. Key theological concepts are undermined. Outside social ideologies are being embraced. And so you and I need to be, we need to be careful. We need to be watching. We need to have our eyes open. We need to have Christ-focused discernment. The Apostle Paul was... was was facing this issue with the Colossian church, outside wisdom overriding truth. He, this even happened in the Corinthian church as well. And in response to what was going on in the Corinthian church, he said, in Corinthians 1, starting in verse 17, he said, For Christ did not send me to baptize. Now, there was an issue of, of uh, having some partiality with those who baptized you. Uh, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then down in chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The world is attacking our simple message. Our simple message is Christ crucified. We build our faith off of that. And so we need to have our eyes open. Watch how the world wants to sneak in. That's why we ask you to have God's word in your hands when I'm preaching, to check what I'm saying against the scriptures, that I'm not leading you astray. And so walk with your feet planted. Walk with your eyes open. And then thirdly, walk with your heart full. Walk with your heart full. This is Christ-empowered courage. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So as we are to measure everything against Jesus Christ, Paul concludes this section proclaiming the truth that, that these false teachers hate they hate that Jesus Christ is being proclaimed as 100% man and 100% God. And Paul's answer for all this false teaching is the, the reality of the risen and everlasting God in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the everlasting God. And if you try to mess with the truth of who he is, you're going to be in real trouble. Paul already taught us in the beginning of this book, in, in chapter 1, verse 19, he said this about Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And here again, we see him reasserting that truth. He says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And this is always the answer. This is the answer. This is the measuring rod of true faith. It comes down to what you do with Jesus. Is he God? 
Is he man? Is he both? Who is Jesus? C.S. Lewis famously said, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. The very fullness of deity dwelled in him bodily. Do you believe that? That Jesus, this, this first century carpenter's son, from a town on the wrong side of the tracks, that he himself is God. Some today merely claim that he was a prophet. Some proclaim that he never really rose from the dead. Some claim he is the spirit brother of Satan. Some claim that he is the archangel Michael. Some claim that he's just a moral teacher. But Paul shows us here in time and time and time after again that the battle against false teaching and the battle over truth in our own hearts is won by holding fast to the truth that Jesus himself is God. He is the fullness. He is the pleroma of this life. He is the fullness of all meaning. He is the fullness of all history. This fullness is not found outside of him. This fullness is not found in worldly ideas. It's not found in captivating philosophies. It's not found in religious ceremony. The fullness of God in Christ means everything. It's the dividing line of truth in this world. The dividing line of philosophy in our churches, in our homes, in our marriages, in our own hearts. Jesus is God. I want you guys to say that with me. Jesus is God. Let's say it again. Jesus is God. The whole fullness of God dwelled in him bodily. And this is even more mind-blowing. Jesus is the one who is the very fullness and expression of God. And he dwells in us. He dwells in us. Paul says we have been filled in him. This is so Amazing. Try to wrap your mind around that. The God-man, the one born 2,000 years ago, born to a virgin. He lived for 33 years on this planet. Perfect, sinless life. Then he spent three years of his life preaching the news of the kingdom of God to this world. He taught with authority like never seen before. And he said that he was the great I am. He is God. He was God on earth. He loved the unlovable. He healed the sick. He raised people from the dead. He cast out demons. He fed thousands. He walked on water. He flipped over the tables in the temple. And he walked willingly towards a Roman cross for us, receiving all the beating, receiving the shame, the whipping, the piercing, the scorn, the nails, the judgment of God upon himself as the innocent Lamb of God, absorbing all the wrath that should have been placed on us. And he died. And he really, really died. And he was really buried. And he really rose from the grave in victory over sin and death. And he has ascended into heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us today. And when he left, he sent his Holy Spirit to us to live in his church, saving us from our sin, giving us new hearts to believe, raising us from the dead, causing us to walk in his ways. This is your God that lives in you. 
You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Notice that it doesn't say filled with him. It doesn't say filled with him, but says filled in him. I love this because you can see that you know that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, but you are filled in Christ, showing us that we need to be covered. We need to be filled, covered and filled, covered by the blood of Jesus. We are covered in his righteousness, but even more than that, we are filled by his spirit, covered and filled. It screams how much we need him. We can't do this on our own. And this should cause us to worship him. Paul says in Romans 8, 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. God is the, the head of all rule and authority head over all creation, head over the church, head over all science, all logic, all philosophy. And he rules with all authority. And he even rules over the realm of evil. Nothing that happens in this world or in the world that you don't see, the spiritual realm, nothing happens apart from the allowance of God. Just look at the story of Job. You see how Satan came to sift Job and God allowed him to do that. Remember when Jesus was casting out demons, a demon came out of a person and said, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy Son of God. And then the people who witnessed this said in Luke 4.36, for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. The spiritual realm knows that Jesus is God and that their time is coming to an end. He is the king of all authority. He is the power over all things. He is the fullness of God and he covers us and he fills us. We have absolutely nothing to be afraid of in this life. We are unstoppable in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Does that give you great courage to move forward in your faith, to walk this walk of faith that is before us? So friends, we need to walk with our hearts full. Walk with Christ-empowered courage. What are we afraid of? Why do we hold back from fully embracing our calling in this world? Friends, you and I can live a brave life. A brave life in Jesus Christ, knowing that we have nothing to be afraid of. A brave life in the face of danger when, when Satan's arrows are flying at us from all around. When the struggling comes, when the trials come, when the hard things come, you and I can boldly face all of them. And we can also boldly proclaim the gospel, something that a lot of us are afraid to do. Finding a stranger, finding a friend, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. You can boldly pursue that, knowing that all things are in his hands. You and I can face any trial. He is in us. He is God over all. So we need to fill our hearts, fill our hearts with the full courage of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? So as a church, from the beginning, I said we're not promised peace and we're not promised prosperity in, in this world, 
Our call is a dangerous calling. And so we need to be aware of the dangers ahead, and we need to be prepared for those dangers. We need to learn how to walk. Learn how to walk. You and I can keep our feet walking in faith by walking with our feet planted in Christ, in Christ-centered thankfulness. By walking with our eyes open, with Christ-focused discernment. Walking with our hearts full, with Christ-powered courage, we have everything in him. So be brave, be strong, be steady, be immovable. Continue walking in the Lord. Let's pray.